Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to Wood Talk Online with your hosts, Mark and Matt. Take it away, boys. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 10, a podcast for intellectual and intelligent woodworkers by intellectual and intelligent woodworkers. I'm Mark Spagnolo, And I am Matt Vandalus, and I have a theory about what we're going to be talking about today. It mm. may have something to do with woodworking. It uh, could. It's a, I have a hypothesis about it. Well, post- postulate that theory. Well, what I'm thinking is, rather than getting into my highbrow uh, comments, we would love to hear from others. So if you have suggestions, comments, what have you, you can reach us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you could even leave us a voicemail by just going over to woodtalkonline.com, and you could click on the button that says leave a voicemail, and due to some great highbrow stuff, we could easily get your voicemail and bring it into the computers we made in our own shops. Exactly. And not to mention, they are in intellectual and intelligent woodworkers as well. So they should have no problem leaving us voicemails on a computer. Absolutely. Anybody that listens to our show happens to be the most intelligent people around. Right. Well, except for the Wonderful. host. <laughs> that, that, well, hey, good point. Very good point. Very valid. Uh, well, let's jump right into it. Uh, we got a couple topics to discuss before we get into the, the voicemails and the emails. Um, I just wanted to quickly mention, I, I did put a blog post up about this, but I did attend a uh, three-day training with Festool uh, in uh, beautiful, sunny, hot, and uh, sweltering, dirty Las Vegas. Ooh, but it's a dry heat, similar to what you're used to. Yeah, it's exactly, the weather was no different than here, so no surprise <laughs> for me. But the wind blows a little more there, and it dries out my eyes, and it's... Uh, it's a whole thing, so if anybody wants to hear about it, uh, write me and I'll, I'll give you an email on it. Uh, but basically, it was a three-day training session on, um, you know, basically it's something that they do for their salespeople and as well for their uh, dealers so that they can educate them properly on the features of their tools. So it's it's very smart, you know, it's, it's a really cool training, but clearly it's it's obviously all about their stuff you know so it's not something that you go to and and expect to uh to to learn about other tools in the industry um <laughs> they're training you how to properly sell one of their tools and how to demo them properly um so it's of course a little bit biased and a little swayed toward their own products but you know it's it's free so what do you expect um but honestly i have to say you know it was probably one of the best training sessions i've ever been to and that goes for you know my any corporate training that i've ever had in my life and when i was in biotech and uh the guy that ran it was uh his name was steve and he just did a fantastic job of uh, you know you know how you're just talking to somebody and they just know their tools. They just know how the tool operates. They know the ins and outs. And there's just no question that this guy knows everything there is to know about that tool. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he was one of those guys. And it was just, you have every confidence in the world that this is, you know, really good quality information that you're, uh, you're downloading there. So uh, we learned, a l- I'm not going to go into all the details about what we learned. Uh, but suffice it to say, it was very, very cool just learning, uh, especially a, a company that, that raises you know, so much controversy, I think, and especially in the forums, and there's such a, uh, 
you know, some people are just completely on board and, you know, almost take it as if it's a religion. And then there's other people who absolutely can't stand it because of how excited other people are about it and how expensive the tools can uh, can sometimes be. Oh, Um, yes. Yeah. The the naysayers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, the bottom line is I'm a tool user and a tool guy just like everybody else. And I just get extremely excited about it. So when I when I come back to my website and start, you know, spewing all this uh, pro festool stuff, it's it, think of it from the uh, the point that I'm no different than anyone else. And when I get a chance to work with some really great tools for three days and learn everything there is to learn about them, I'm going to be excited about it. And it's got nothing to do with sponsorships or, uh, you know, who's paying for advertising. It's just about, you know what, this stuff is exciting. I like it. And I'm going to tell you about it. So so Absolutely. yeah, that's that's what I did with uh, three days. Nicole and I uh, cruised up there in, in the little VW bug and uh, had a, had a pretty good time at at the same time. So it was pretty cool. Sweet. Yeah, I absolutely agree. If you get a chance to do something really, you know, that, that you not only incorporates your passion for your, your hobby or your, your, your trade, more or less, you know, but you get to work with something that you're just, oh, you know, and just absolute awe over. Right. I say 100% and the hell with the rest of them. Yeah, yeah I mean, who's, who's not going to take that opportunity if you get a chance, you know, so it was it was fantastic. Sweet. All right. Well, uh, you know, I have a little a little announcement. Well, actually, we all have a little announcement because I know yes. that there's quite a few of these uh, listeners out there that belong to Lumber jocks mm-hmm. and uh, lumberjocks happens to have their summer awards going on right now so you have two categories that you can enter in which is the garden project and the wood joinery so i would definitely head over to lumberjocks.com and check that out and see uh you know you can check out the rules check out some of the other things if you're not a member it might be something worth checking out because i guess you could check it out um, check it out that's a lot of checking really they might they it. might want to you know what they might want to do while they're there what's that check it out Oh, that's a good idea. I never thought about that one. <laughs> so, but anyway, some of those great prizes that you could win if you happen to enter this and check it out. Uh, yeah, you check could, it out. yeah, you know, you could check out some of the prizes, which would be like <laughs> the Dowel Max, uh, the Best of Fine Woodworking DVD. They're giving away a, a fifty dollars Amazon dot com gift certificate, a one year. Uh, Mac, was it that? Uh, uh, Custom- Canadian Woodworking. That's the one. Yeah, Sorry. see, it's, it's those Canucklies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so there's a whole bunch of other things that are going on. I mean, he's got some really fantastic prizes. It's definitely up from, you know, when it was like a book or a yeah. magazine. Yeah, totally. So, there's a, there's a, um, a Lee Valley Jack plane on the list of prizes. Oh, in that case, I think I'm entering this year. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was really impressed. Martin did a, a great job of getting some uh, some sponsors for this one. Sweet, and the, the really the thing I really like about these awards, the the whole entire contest is judged by your own peers, and that's the number one thing that I like. Is it's you don't have some joker who can just log on the website and do whatever you want. You this is like right. everybody's like a little family, and you can critique all you want or praise as much as you want, and I think you get more praise than critique. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. And it's so easy because there's no strings attached. All you have to do is upload the picture. So. Technically, if it's something you haven't made, you know that you've made maybe six months ago, you can technically post that as an entry, and it really is. That's all you have to do to enter this contest. So it's it's a no brainer. Hey, you found out about my last contest entry? Damn it! I thought I had that covered. <laughs> and technically, you could take a picture from a website and call it your own if you want to. Ooh, that's a good idea. I'm gonna put that one down right now. Although I don't suggest that because Martin has a keen eye and he'll find you. Where's and- that? Kill the you. Wood Whisperer website gallery. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. You're not going to find anything good there. Okay. So anyway, uh, let's just jump right into those voicemails. And I'm still, I want more. I want more voicemails. We have uh, two this week and we'll, we'll jump right into them. Okay. Uh, first one is from Patrick. Let's uh, hear what he has to say. Hello, dudes. This is Patrick from Los Angeles. I have a question regarding blade maintenance. I have just invested in a couple of... Uh, good quality, uh, expensive uh, table saw blades, and um, I'd like to know how I can get uh, the most out of them for the longest period of time. How can I keep them clean and uh, without uh, going crazy about it? Uh, I've thought about uh, using a wire brush to uh, brush them all the uh, buildup off. I'm just wondering, is that good? Is that bad? What's the best way to maintain my table saw blades? Thank you. Okay, thanks, Patrick, for uh, leaving yeah. that voicemail for us. Um, okay, so blade cleaning. Now, for me personally, I i mean, the best way to extend the life of the blade, and I think Matt and I discussed this earlier, uh, is not to use it. Yeah, uh, 100%. Right? As soon as you get it home, put it right up on the wall. Don't even take yeah. it out of its protective Just case. Like, right exactly. up on the wall. 
Yep. Uh, but if you do happen to use it, you're probably going to need to do some things to take care of it. So first thing, uh, you know, maybe once a month, I guess it really depends on your usage. You do want to clean it. Uh, a brass brush, I think that's okay. That's pretty soft um, mm-hmm. as far as metal goes. Uh, I actually prefer to use one of those uh, Scotch Brite pads. And yep. uh, uh, we've talked about this in previous episodes about what we use to clean it. Nothing super abrasive. Simple Green is good. Soap and water is good. Um, and some of those uh, light formula, um, you know, sprays that are just uh, pitch and resin removers, uh, right. stuff that's available at the woodworking stores, those work great too. Um, stay away from oven cleaners. Stay away from the really, really harsh stuff. And I believe, Matt, you mentioned the T9 product. Uh, yeah, the uh, blade and bit resin gum and pitch remover. Definitely, uh-huh. that one that one works good, and it's not very irritating to the eyes or anything. Good, and, good. And so and it goes on pretty fast. Yeah, definitely stay away from things like brake cleaner. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and especially when you're working with metal, don't spark those things. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And the thing, last thing you want to do is is do anything that might uh, weaken the. Um, I guess it's is it the brazing? Is that what they call them? Yeah, the thing that holds the carbide chip on there. Right, you know, you don't want to weaken that joint. You don't want little bullets of carbide flying around the shop. So, oh man, could you imagine that? Just like in the middle of like cutting pine, it's like nice, nice and soft. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that that's a good a good thing to do to help is is to keep it clean, uh, and that way you you keep the heat build up down, and that'll extend the life of the blade. Um, and you know, honestly, beyond that, there may be some other things that you can do for but for me personally i don't do anything more than that i just make sure my blade stays clean and i don't run anything through it that i shouldn't be running through it right yeah definitely not no right that pay close attention yep but i still like that idea just put it right on the wall and get yourself a cheap dirty blade yeah that is definitely <laughs> be the, the easiest way to go i found that to be very helpful Sweet. All right. Well, it looks like we also have a second email because I think you said we had our voicemail. Yep. Wow. They really throw me off those voicemail email. Yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, so our second one here, we have uh, Larry and uh, let's listen to what Larry has to say. Hey guys. Great show. In regard to um, protecting your tool surfaces, I've used a product called uh, Top Coat made by Bostic with very good success. I live in the Northwest with fluctuating temperatures and uh, have not had any rust whatsoever uh, on my table saw, bandsaw, drill press, etc. Um, I've been woodworking now for 17 years and uh, love that product, so I thought I would share that information. Great show. Keep up the good work. All right, so really, Larry didn't have so much of a question as he did have a comment, and uh, we definitely appreciate those. So, you know, some of the if you have information as we answer questions, and you think you have something that you could add to the discussion, by all means, you know, let us know, drop us a line, and and we'd love to be able to throw that out there. Perhaps it's an idea that we never even thought of. I doubt it, but uh, uh, yeah, we are intellectual and, and, and intelligent, so that's right. I'm hooked right <laughs> up to the internet. So <laughs> exactly that, that yeah. you know, like we were talking about beforehand as we were going on, you know, definitely uh, if, if Larry has something that's working up in the Northwest, cause it gets a little moist up there from what I understand. That is, uh, uh, that's what they say. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't really know if I believe them. I think maybe they're just kind of dreary people. Ooh, that's yeah. not good to say. Sorry, Northwesterners. <laughs> right. Well, I actually have used that uh, in the past and I've strayed away from it just because it just, it, it's, it is kind of expensive. Um, yeah. But I guess if you compare it to the cost of other things, especially, you know, woodworking specific lubricants and things like that, it's probably not that bad. But um, I found it to work pretty well. And again, I don't really put my materials to the test where I live. But in a place like, you know, the uh, the U.S. Northwest, that that's probably one of the worst places you can go. That and, uh, you know, the southeast areas and Texas and Places where it can get really moist, that's uh, you know, that's a pretty good uh, endorsement for that product. So definitely another one of the list of things to consider for uh, rust rust prevention. Sweet. All mm-hmm. right. Well, so shall we move on to the actual emails? Yes, we shall. Okay. Well, let's start out with this first one. Let's see here. Uh, oh, actually, you know what? These are the first couple of emails we have are some more follow-up. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we had mentioned last week, and I think I just mentioned a minute ago, if we have any questions that you think you have something to add to, by all means, please drop us a line at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Yep. So our first follow-up here is uh, on the subject of wood toxicity and allergies, because we were ta- somebody had a question about that last week. Uh, make sure to be careful if you or children have peanut allergies and some of the wood species 
that produce nuts, such as walnut, could have serious effects. My dog was in my shop, and as I was cleaning up after a project, uh, she got a chunk of walnut and chewed on it. She started having a hard time breathing and turned bright red. And uh, we took her to the emergency vet, and they got her fixed up, but it was not pleasant. And I know some people have severe reactions, and that was from uh, Jeremy. So that, that's a great point. That really is, uh, you know, you, you don't really think about these things because most things we're thinking about, like, actual ingesting when we'd have an issue with that. But apparently right. the uh, it could just be simply being around it, touching it, the oils, what have you. So thanks well, a lot, yeah. Jeremy. Yeah, absolutely. And there are people with, you know, just such severe allergies. It takes very little in terms of exposure to cause a reaction. So you definitely have to be careful with that. And on, you know, a side note, he mentioned his dog. Um, I just have heard some nightmare stories about things that dogs can do uh, that could be detrimental uh, in the in the shop, including you know that. And I don't know if we talked about it on Wood Talk Online, but um, the uh, polyurethane glues. Okay. Did, did we mention that with the dogs? Uh, they it just tastes really sweet to them, and they ingest it and basically turns into a rock in their stomach. <laughs> no, I know yeah. we talked about polyurethane glues, but I don't remember that. Yeah, that, I don't know where that came up, but it rings a bell. But anyway, that is another risk, kind of like you know, dogs go for like radiator coolant and things like that. If it tastes sweet, a dog's going to eat it. So, um, and of course, what's it do? It foams up and gets very hard and turns into a rock. And then, of course, you need surgery to pull that thing out. So, um, oh. yeah, do do a little googling on it. I'm sure you'll find some some cases of that happening. So anyway, just watch your dog, watch your kids, and just uh, you know, try to keep things up high where little ones and uh, little four legged friends can't reach them. Yeah, if you need toothpicks, pick a different wood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, the next email we've got from a good buddy, Kendall, in Utah. And uh, Kendall is a frequent chat room dude. He oh, yeah. I think, actually. I think I, you mentioned something about that, Kendall. Yeah. Kendall, that name he's does the, sound uh, familiar. Well, he's actually he's the tool addict in the chat room, and I'm going to call him out so that everyone knows it's him. Oh. Um, anywho, he says, uh, first time writer, long time listener. Um, just to follow up to episode nine, there are a lot of sites available to determine toxicity of wood and what's safe or not. Uh, the easiest and best way I have learned to determine how safe it is is based on the wood's natural oil. Woods with strong aromatic scents uh, mean that they also have stronger oils. There are oils that, once airborne uh, from sanding, scraping, and planing, are more potentially dangerous to our lungs uh, and have a great chance of allergic reactions. Cedar is a great example. Second, Matt, what are, <laughs> maybe we should have edited this first. Um, <laughs> he says, what are we going to do with your mic? I think the skips, stutters, and occasional twangs are killing me. I had a favorite CD that skipped and got so bad I had to throw it out of my car window. Still, to this day, I can't listen to Ace of Base without thinking of all the skips. Just kidding. Uh, please let me know what I can do to help, Kendall. Now, I could just speak to that briefly. Uh, well, first of all, let's just say thanks for the, the tip on, uh, on, on the, um, the wood toxicity. And uh, did, you, did you say that you were going to have some links or something on that for... Uh, maybe it was me that said I had that. I uh, I'll post... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say. I think you did. I did have a book that had a couple of mentions in it about a few things. But uh, yeah, I think I think you're the one with the uh, the information on that. The link. It's been oh, a long. Boy, the, it's, it's been a the, long week, and it just started. Yeah, the intelligence just threw out the uh, window <laughs> on this one. It's gone. Yeah, I screwed that. I screwed that one up. Um, yeah, I think I've gotten a number of links from people um, in a post that I made actually, and just very helpful links. Uh, to toxicity, some stuff on finewoodworking.com, uh, dealing with safety in the shop and, and different woods and stuff. And we'll post those in the uh, the show notes, and that way people have some resources for them. Um, now, secondly, dealing with the pops and skips, basically, you know, we're still, we get one shot a week to work out these issues, and we don't, you know, both you and I have our own podcast, and you've got a real job, and I pretend to. And, um, <laughs> you know, we, we actually don't really get to work on this stuff but once a week when we actually sit down to film it. So, or uh, to record it. So if things go in screwy, then they come out screwy. Um, and what we've been trying to do is, you know, we've been trying to work out the details with getting a good recording of Matt's voice on his end and then him emailing that to me so then I could put that in the final mix. If that doesn't come out right or if it doesn't sound good, I take the least of the evils and usually that's my recording of our Skype conversation. So the pops and twangs are usually not uh, Matt's mic. They're typically the pops and twangs that come from uh, just the everyday Skype conversation over the internet. So we're right. working on it. Bear with us. And, uh, you know, as we nail down this process, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get it all sounding perfect. Hopefully. Right. 
Definitely. And I think this week we probably should, it should sound a little bit better. I found out it was an MP3 encoder. So we should maybe knock on wood. Oh, get it. Wood shop. Walk on wood. Yeah. Anyway, but another thing though, that he threw an ace of bass CD out. You know, I got hit in the head not so long ago. It, ah. Kendall, when was that? And uh, where were you? He's got a so, good arm to reach you from Utah though. Oh, in that case, yeah, definitely. Maybe it was a different one. <laughs> right. So, all right. Well, let's move on to our next one. Let's see here. Uh, oh, this should be an easy one. Matt and mm-hmm. Mark, are you fellows attending the AWFS show in Las Vegas this July? If so, will either or both of you or each of you have a booth where we can drop by and say hi and thanks? Regards, Gordon. Well, for me, I'm going to say no, but Mark, how about you? Uh, I will be there. And that actually relates to what I was talking about earlier with the festival training. Uh, Part of the reason for that training was uh, in preparation for me to kind of get into the mindset of living within the festival universe and solely within the festival universe so I could design some projects to do at the demo booth there at the show. So I will be there. Um, I believe it's a four-day show, and I'll be there all four days. And uh, I won't be the only one who's there, but Nicole will also be there. So any of her fans and admirers who would like to meet her in person can certainly do so um but yeah we will be there and uh certainly come by the festival booth and and check things out and we'll uh we could talk and chat and i could show you what i'm up to there hey or maybe the listeners could send me money so i could fly out there we could do something like that that would Uh, be awesome yeah yeah. it would be quite a haul for you uh but if someone if someone wants to give you a free plane ticket i guess you're not going to turn it down no, I would definitely have to be like, thank you, and then get on the plane really quick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So our next one, we've got a email from Brent, and he's actually in Arizona. He's, he's around me. Oh. Um, he says, Mark and Matt, Eminem. Maybe we shouldn't say that because I really don't want that to be our nickname. <laughs> yeah. Like those corny radio shows. Um, yeah. Welcome to Eminem. I'm Eminem. Peanut, and he's playing. Welcome to Dingo and the Baby. You ever watch <laughs> uh, Family Guy? Uh, no. All right, those that do will find that funny. Okay. Okay, (laughs) I would first like to thank you for the time you guys put into the quality program. My question is concerning a shop air compressor. I'm thinking of purchasing an air compressor for my shop. Didn't you just say that two different ways? I Um, think so. I'm a beginning... (laughs) Maybe you talked in a big circle. (laughs) Could be, could be. I'm a beginning woodworker and will probably only uh, use it for my woodworking projects. I'm wondering what would be sufficient to run a brad nailer, a finish sprayer, and for cleanup of sawdust uh, on my tools and work areas. Once again, thanks. Uh, Let's see. Now, the problem is just using it for woodworking here and there, and then he adds in the finish sprayer, which is kind of what what might break what I was originally going to recommend. Normally, most woodworkers can get away with just a simple, you know, like that little porter cable pancake uh, unit that comes with three guns. Uh, that oh, yep. thing, yeah, that thing is awesome. It's really small. Um, I don't know if it's oil free or not, but it's. Uh, I think it is actually, and it's a pretty yeah. low low maintenance compressor. It works great. Um, I've got the little uh, Dewalt hot dog dual stack unit, which is a little probably a little more powerful, a little more capacity, but neither of those are something that I would recommend for finish spraying. You know, so I think mm-hmm. if he's going to go that route, he may need to step it up to a little bit more of a serious compressor that has a little more capacity. Although I will say I do know guys that have successfully sprayed with those smaller compressors, but it's going to constantly cycle on and off and on and off, and it's not really good for the longevity of the compressor. So if you are going to do that, the thing to do is find the spray gun you're looking for and look at the uh, the air requirements, how much air it needs to be fed in order to work properly. And if that if that compressor doesn't meet those numbers, then you probably shouldn't use it for that task. Yeah, that sounds right. I, I have one of those miniature ones, the uh, the small little round porter cable kind of thingy, uh-huh. and that's I tried spraying with that once, and yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It, it it just cycled constantly to the point where my wife just came out, pulled the plug, and was like, "That's it, you're done." <laughs> but it's <laughs> no great more. for all the. But it's all it's great for all the the nails that you need to drive right. You don't have any limitations there. Absolutely right. I've got like all my different size brad nailers, and if I do hook up that little hose thingy, I can you know blow all the sawdust all over the place and create right. a whole new health hazard. So, oh, perfect. That's exactly what you want to do. Yep. So, and I did actually <laughs> hook. I hooked it up to my uh, uh, my sprinkler system, and my neighbors kind of came out and yanked the plug on that too because it was cycling constantly. So, I wouldn't right. recommend that. <laughs> uh, there you go. So, okay. Well, let's see here. We've got another one from uh, who's this? Uh, Jorge or mm-hmm. Hort. Is it George? Georgie. That's it. 
Okay, so uh, hi, Mark and Matt. <laughs> <laughs> the strength of different joints using solid wood have been covered in many different articles, but that is not the case for plywood. Rabbit and dado joints are the most common ones used for plywood, but since the edges of plywood are not long grain, which is the start of a good joint, where does the plywood joints get their strength from? For example, is it feasible to use a rabbit joint to join the bottom of a wall cabinet, or is it necessary to use a dado joint so that the cabinet bottom gets supported in the lower shoulder? Now, does now does using brad nails or screws help to join the uh, the joint strength, other than helping to secure the joint while the gluing sets? Well, let's see here. Uh, Really, no, I've never had problems with, with using plywood with uh, rabbit and dado joints. Right. Um, and let's see. He's talking, this sounds to me like more specifically at the bottom. Right. Um, yeah, really, I don't, I've, I've always used pretty much just a rabbit down there and the glue's held. And if I get really insecure about it, you know, I, I'm willing to drive an occasional brad nail through or something along the lines of that. Right. It really depends on what, what I'm making. Obviously, utilitarian kind of cabinets or bookshelf or what have you. I have no problem driving a screw or a nail through it. Right. But really, I think when it comes down to it, with, with the plywood, even though obviously you have the multiple plies going in different directions, um, I don't, I, I, I've never really had an issue with glue failing as far as I know. Maybe. Maybe I actually have, and nobody's told me yet. So <laughs> that could be a possibility. I've been getting a few phone calls lately. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I mean, you would be surprised how strong a glue-only joint can be. Uh, right. You know, the fact of the matter is we usually don't put enough stress on these things, you know, to even get near the breaking point of that joint. So, um, you know, that's why, like you're saying, even though you may not have used much in terms of reinforcement, the joints have held just because the, the glue joint is good as long as you've clamped it properly. Um, but, you know, that being said, I personally am a little bit paranoid when it comes to carcass construction, um, you know, using plywood. And I will, whenever possible, use a dado over a rabbit if I can, mm -hmm. uh, if it makes sense in the design. Um, I will also reinforce my, my dado joints with either uh, brad nails uh, just till the glue dries, as, as Norm would say. There you um, go. And uh, ideally, if I can get away with it, I'm actually going to drive screws from the other side through the dado and into the perpendicular uh, vertical piece or, well, horizontal depending on your orientation. But I will add screws too just because, like I said, personally, I'm a little bit paranoid about that joint myself. So basically, I use as much reinforcement as I can without you know hurting the piece that I'm building. So if, if you've got a nice solid side and you don't want you know, contrasting wood plugs or anything on the sides, you know, then you can't really get away with, um, with using screws. But if I can get away with that, I will just because I'd like to add some extra reinforcement. Um, at the very least you pop a, a few brad nails through there. That's a little bit more extra reinforcement, you know, but sometimes you don't even want to go that far because you don't want to fill those little holes. And in those cases, you have to rely on the strength of that dado. Um, I will also recommend that you check out I can't remember which joints they tested, but there's this awesome video on YouTube and just kind of just do a generic search for like woodworking joint test or stress test or something like that. And it shows a number of joints uh, where they where they actually, you know, there was even an article in uh, Fine Woodworking this this past month on that, but it wasn't dealing with plywood. I believe in this this uh, video that I saw that there were some examples with plywood. I might be mistaken there, but uh, very cool just watching these joints break apart and showing the different effects of uh, dados, biscuits, uh, a dado with screws, and just how much difference it made. And if I remember correctly, it didn't make that much difference, at least okay. in real terms for what you and I would, the strength or the stress that we would apply to a piece of furniture didn't really make that much difference once you're in a dado and you're supported at the top and bottom with glue, you know, okay. so uh, very Sweet. cool. Check check that out if you get a chance. Nice. Anything that shows destruction, I am there. Yeah, there's definitely death and destruction in the whole video. It's awesome. <laughs> All right. So let's go to uh, James's email. He says... Uh, I was listening to your podcast, great work, and there was a question about which planer to buy. I suggest a lunchbox type, and uh, when you do have a large piece to plane down, go to your local technical high school or community college and ask them to plane it for you. That's Ooh, uh, excellent advice, and you can also yeah, go definitely. to local um, local cabinet shops, and you'll either be beat up and thwarted for your efforts, or they will uh, welcome you in, give you a cup of coffee, and then charge you some money to use their equipment. Um, but I, it's Go ahead. 
Never happened to me. No, I always get the beat up, uh, panted, and coffee thrown on me. Personally, I get nervous about going into anyone else's shop and being like, hey, can I uh, use your tools? Because I don't know. I just get the impression that these guys aren't always that friendly. But you never know. It's worth a shot. Yeah. Maybe yeah, come definitely. come in with coffee and donuts, and the impression might be a little different. Yeah, and and don't give them any jokes like you know, hey, where's Lefty? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, and don't don't critique the work while you're there either. Oh yeah, um, that's a good point. So anyway, on to James's question. Uh, I see all sorts of woodworks uh, st- with stained wood using different colors than the actual wood color, and I could see the use for doing this in things like ebony. Uh, if I wanted to match wood color with wood grain pattern in general, of course. What less expensive local woods would match with more expensive exotic types? For example, what wood grain resembles ebony, mahogany, wangi, or even coca-bola? Uh, thanks. Keep up the good work. Podcasts and videos inspire me to keep uh, going, heading to my shop. Ugh, sometimes I have trouble reading these emails. Anyway, um, I would say, you know, if you're doing matching, here's the thing. Nothing is going to match great for the exotics. You know, there are some things you can get away with. You can ebonize maple, you know, to make it look like ebony, and that's probably what I would suggest if you're looking for the closest grain match. Um, but if you're trying to match zebra wood, that's not going to happen. You know, if you're, try- <laughs> you're trying to match wangi, even that is very difficult because these exotics have such distinct characteristics that it makes them very, very difficult to match. And a lot of times the grain also involves multiple colors throughout the piece uh you know so that if you're looking to match coca-bola that's that's going to be tricky really 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 tricky so i would say for me the chameleon in my shop that goes you know basically looks like or i try to make it look like cherry mahogany walnut and that's alder it's extremely inexpensive and the only real drawback to it is it's a little bit soft so you have to be aware of that but you know you can make alder look about you know look like probably three or four or five or six maybe uh, different types of woods, but they're mostly domestics, you know, so you're not really going right. to be able to make it look like wingy or make it look like a purple heart, you know, so it's, it's uh, I would say definitely that's my primary one and I would stock, you know, pallets of that stuff if I could afford to get it ahead of time because I do use it that much. Um, but I, I think personally, I think this is one of those times that we could probably rely on some uh, some viewer suggestions or listener suggestions uh, you know, for what they've used to try to match a certain one in the past. But have you um, yeah. ever had to do that? Um, you, you know, actually, I was going to say, like, I, I once used ash as a uh, alternative for uh, red oak. It, it, there's a slight similarity in there. And, and ash, actually, I'm trying to think, no, it doesn't work for that. Okay, never mind that one. But like, uh, <laughs> I've actually heard sometimes with poplar can actually be a a good imitator, but it really depends. You you've got to be very careful on the grain selection with that. Yeah. Um. It, it definitely is not going to work all the time. Um. No. I'm you know I'm really kind of interested to see what what our listeners have to say about it. I'm you know I think we'll definitely get some great responses. I I always with this question kind of made me pop in my head the the idea of like way back when the old you know plantations with their um you know. They, they want everything to look mahogany and everything, so they brought the artisan to repaint them. <laughs> right, right. You know, and you can go from there. So, you know, maybe if you really want – you know, actually, I even saw – there was an article in Fine Woodworking several years ago where they're like, can't afford tiger maple? Let's show you how to – Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
paint it. Oh, no there. kidding. Wow. Yeah, and they showed, like, you know, the proper brush strokes and everything else to get in there, and I'm like, you know what, maybe I'll just do that when I put all my wood putty in place, <laughs> and we'll just repaint it to look like the wood. Oh, man. Wow. Well, I mean, I guess if you're really, really determined and you want to save a few bucks, you probably could come up with some creative solution, and that's what I'm hoping, you know, we get from uh, some of the listeners, but for me personally, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's they're, yeah, they're, they're expensive, but if, if, you know, the project is worthwhile... Um, just go ahead and, and, you know, wait till you can afford the exotic material and, and you'll be, you know, you'll thank yourself for doing it too, because you'll have that wood under your belt as a wood that you're familiar with the working characteristics of. So it's, it's, you know, but if you're doing this for a customer, you know, and they, and they want something that, that looks like a certain wood, but they won't pay you to do it, then obviously you've got no choice but to find the closest substitute. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. So let's, let's hear what you guys have used. That'll be an interesting post to listen to. Man, I just had something like an image in my head. You have like a customer that's like, you know, I would like book matching lace wood panels. Yeah, no problem. I could take care of that. And you're out there like with a little brush stroke and kind of, you know, put those in there. And yeah, that, <laughs> I, there. That, that I wouldn't recommend doing, but I guess you could if you were determined. Yeah, really. <laughs> Didn't you say you were kind of farsighted, nearsighted? What were you? Okay, never mind. Right. Better be blind. You need to be yeah. completely blind. Yeah, so definitely get 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 those uh, comments in there. Let's let's find out what everybody else is using. Sure. So sweet. All right, let's move on to this next one, which I think might be. I'm I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna read it to you, Mark. It's just okay. for you. All right. Nice. nice. I'm excited. Uh, I just purchased the PM2000 table saw a few months ago and love it. I noticed that you being Mark, have a PM66. There is several hundred dollars price difference between the two, and I was wondering what the major differences are that cause such a price difference. Thanks, Keith. So, Mark, what do you think? Hmm, let's see. Well, the thing is, I've wondered that myself, because, you know, being a a fan of Powermatic, they come out with this new saw, and it's cheaper, you know, and it it looks a lot like the other saw, and it seems like it's just as robust and heavy-duty, so why... Is it cheaper? And why would anyone want to buy the PM66 when the PM2000 is out? Uh, and it's got these other features that the PM66 doesn't have. So just quickly to touch on that. First of all, it's it's new. There's a few additions to the uh, the on-off uh, switch. has a nice big, you know, round, very obvious off button, which is very handy for safety. Um, yep. You know, the whole design, the whole thing was completely redesigned. It's got almost... I don't know. To me, it's almost a retro look. It's a little bit of a throwback look in the way that the uh, the knobs and everything look on it. A um, few other features, key features on it. It has a set of wheels built in, so you don't need to buy a mobile base. You just uh, pull one of the um, one of the knobs out and then just rotate it. Uh, and I guess one complaint about it was that the threads are there's too many threads on it, so you have to turn it too many times to actually engage and get the wheels to hit the ground. But Either way, the fact that you've got the wheels there built in is fantastic. Um, So you crank those wheels down and you could scoot that thing all over the shop. Um, The other feature it's got is a built-in riving knife, which on U.S. table saws is not that common. I believe the saw stop might be um, the only other one that has a a riving knife built in. Well, uh, actually, I think there's a uh, Grizzly 14-inch uh, table saw that I think has one. But, yeah, other than that. <laughs> that's not on many of our shopping lists. Um, wow. No, no. Okay. But, yeah, I think but, of Father's Day. Right. Uh, but the advantage of the, the riving knife is it stays uh, with the height of the blade so that if you, um, anyone who's done dados and, you know, had to remove your uh, safety gear, you know exactly what we're talking about. Anytime you want to run something over the blade but not cut through, you've got to remove that splitter. Uh, and the riving knife stays with the height of the blade and means that you can actually not have to remove those things when, when you need to do those cuts. So pretty convenient. Um, the other improvement that they have, and this this is pretty, I mean, it's like a minor thing, but it for some reason it's a really big deal to me. Um, they've got a lock where, y- you know, you no longer have to jam a piece of wood into your blade to change the blade. You just okay. basically flip this little lever, locks it in place, and it's a one-hand, one-wrench. Well, you probably push your other finger on that little button. <laughs> uh, but with a wrench, you unlock it, and then you can change your blade. Uh, pretty easy and straightforward, which is, um, I don't know. I mean, to me, I'm always scrounging around looking for some piece of wood to jam in there, and you know, you got to wonder, you know, is it good for the blade to do that, and just all kinds of stuff. So that's just a very clever improvement. So wow. those are those are the features that to me say okay this should be more expensive and then it's not you know it's it's a little bit cheaper as uh, as we heard in the email so um, to find out uh, why that is you know I I really should talk to the guys at Powermatic and specifically find out what it is but clearly it's going to be 
you know, it has to be, there's got to be a sacrifice somewhere, whether it's a thinner gauge material used on right. some interior part. Uh, maybe the whole thing is a little bit lighter. Um, but the truth is, for most hobbyists and standard professional woodworkers, you know, small time, you know, not small time, but small uh, person shops, you know, like my shop, for instance, that saw is going to have more than enough guts to do exactly what you need to do in that shop. The PM66, maybe that's just a little bit more heavy duty, a little bit closer to strictly commercial use. Um, maybe it's overkill, you know, for the average person's shop. So, um, right. you know, I will also point people to an article that discusses this in a little bit more detail than, than I'm capable of. Um, Popular Woodworking has a blog and they occasionally do tool tests. Uh, and I read through there and I actually found one on um, a posting on May 14th that they did a tool test on a Powermatic PM 2000. And they actually specifically addressed the differences and, you know, whether it makes that much of a difference to uh, the, the hobbyist, advanced hobbyist and small commercial woodworker. So check that out. It's on Popular Woodworking's blog. Just go to blogs.popularwoodworking.com. And uh, I would just search for it, um, either by date or Powermatic PM2000, and look for that post. Uh, but definitely a worthwhile read. Sweet. You know, the one thing I got from that was, so you, you hold the blade in place with a piece of wood um, when you're changing it? Uh, maybe that's, I've been putting a wrench <laughs> to hold it in place, and maybe that's why mine are getting so dull so fast. There's that one tooth that's always messed up. <laughs> yeah, back to our extending the life of your blades. Don't use metal to hold the blade in place when you need to actually pull that arbor nut off of there. And next you're going to tell me not to drop it on the ground too, I bet. Probably. That would be <laughs> no. on my, my top list. Maybe we should reevaluate that uh, that first email that we got. Yeah. Uh, that, I'm going to start... Yeah. Can you can you write this down and send it to me in an email? I think I better <laughs> redo this. Wow, nice. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> um, okay, this one is from Gordon. He's uh, one of our friends from uh, from Down Under. Didn't didn't you have a theory about Down Under? Well, yeah. He says, you know, good day from Down Under. So we're like, you know, hey, how's it going from up over? Up over. But up we should, over. Maybe we should start that if it's if it's not already a trend. Ooh, we get some t-shirts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> good day from up over. Or how how's it going from up over? How's it, there you go. We'll get what, bumper stickers. Right. Or, or what's up, dude, from up Ooh, over. There you are. <laughs> definitely. We'll All work right. on that. Yeah, definitely. We can make some t-shirts and sell them. Uh, okay, so Gordon says, good day from down under. Uh, I watched Crocodile Dundee the other day, by the way. Uh-oh, I could tell. Your, blast, your accent. It, well, it did help me a little bit, but blast from the past. I love that movie. Anyway, I got a tricky question for you guys. Uh, I've been sharpening my chisels and plain blades using the scary sharp method. For anyone who doesn't know, that's using sandpaper for your sharpening. Uh, since that was a way that I could do it fairly cheaply without having to buy one of those expensive grinding stations. Time's not an issue in my shop. I find even sharpening somehow therapeutic and satisfying. Anyway, someone told me to check out those newfangled diamond stones. They're not really stones, but rather a metal plate encrusted with diamond bits and lots of holes in the plate. And the plate is attached to a medium fine, fine, and super fine, or something like that. And I skipped the line. He says that it's attached <laughs> to some kind of substrate with different colors to indicate the coarseness or fineness of the diamond. Uh, they seem to come in about four or five different colors and are denoted as coarse, medium, medium, fine, fine, super fine, and something like that. Uh, I was thinking of getting just one of the coarser uh, end of the range that will hopefully be quicker than coarse emery cloth at doing the uh, initial reshaping of the blade. The question is, are they quicker? Uh, and how long do they last? And, and what is the grit size equivalent for each? I can't see in the fineness mentioned uh, anywhere on the packaging of these items. Uh, P.S. Mark, don't throw out your feeler gauges. I found a use for them. They're great for working glue into hairline cracks or splits in wood, caused perhaps by the inept use of a chisel on occasion. Uh, this happened to me the other day while I was installing a hitch. That's that's a good point on the feeler gauges, huh. but I actually did use my feeler gauges a few times, and uh, the jointer um, tune-up and setup was when I used them the most. So I'm not nice. going to throw mine out, but um, I do have a couple extra sets, so maybe I'll just use those for glue. There you go. Yeah, Sweet. That, that's a great idea. But uh, on to his question. I, I think I like the way he's thinking here. I think using a good diamond grip... Uh, one of the coarser ones is going to be nice and aggressive. It's going to last really long. The problem is I don't think I can specifically answer his questions. I don't know what the the grit equivalents are 
Um, mm-hmm. But I think if you work solely within that system, you probably would get you know up to in the fine. Maybe you'll get up to the thousand, two thousand, maybe even five thousand grit. <clears throat> excuse me, as I go through puberty again. Hello, Bobby Brady. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cry now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the thing is, if you stay within that system, yeah, you're going to get a really sharp chisel. But I don't know, you know, if you're going to climb in in and out of the system exactly how it's going to, to translate. I do know right. that those diamond blades, I mean, the, the diamond grits, they last they last a really long time, and they, they command a price that pretty much shows that they last a long time. Right. Um, but I know I did that too. I actually had a coarse grit uh, for all my heavy duty reshaping, and then I moved on to the finer stuff. Um, you know, in, in my standard water stones, and in his case, he's just going to move on to sandpaper. So, um, you know, I don't know. Have you had a lot of experience with those uh, with the diamond plates? Um, you know, actually. No, I, I I had a like a medium and a fine, but um, I moved on to like kind of the scary sharp method, and I I do pretty much maintain just my coarse one, which I think, according to the one one reference I looked at, it was like a two twenty grit. Yeah, and I, I I think the finest one only goes up to like maybe like mimicking like a twelve hundred grit or something like that. I know it doesn't okay. get up specifically that you know really as high as you could maybe get with like a water stone, but yeah, that's right. that's pretty much what I just use. Yeah, the the coarse one for reshaping, and then very much like what you have going on so right and if he's i mean if he's looking to stay with the scary sharp system he's looking to save a few bucks you know he's looking Mm -hmm. to do something that's non-committal um and if that's the way he wants to keep going then you know you don't want to buy all the different uh all the different grits so just get that course one you know and then uh do your reshaping and jump back into the sandpaper system I, i think it's a great idea but definitely i'm sure if you contacted the manufacturer they probably have some data on that and right. what the, what their grit equivalents are and then he can make a judgment as you know maybe the course is too coarse maybe he doesn't need that um but from what i hear those things will last i don't want to say forever but they're going to last a long time and uh, as they say in a commercial uh diamonds are forever that's right yes and, you know and um yeah, I have nothing to follow that up. <laughs> <laughs> needs needs but, uh, no follow up, Matt. No. That's follow-up. right. <laughs> yeah, but you know, really with the, with those diamond stones, I'd be careful which ones you get because I actually, um, I hate to admit it, but it was one of those cheapo kind of you know, like, oh well, I'll give this a shot, and you know, this is if this is, should be perfectly fine because a diamond stone is a diamond stone, and I got I picked up like this kind of entry level one, and it was. They were hor- the, the plates actually came off of the substrate that it was on, oh, and it was all over the place. And they they did a horrible. I ended up just tossing them. I mean, what, what do you expect for like a set of four for like ten bucks? Right. So, right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, the, the, what's the really good one out there? Is it the DMT? Is that ring the bell? DMT? Yeah. That's okay. I have. Uh, I have their two twenty. I think it is their coarse one, and that's exact. I mean, I get a huge nick in my hand playing blades, and uh, I can I can work that baby out in a matter of a few minutes. It, it does a fantastic job, and then I just move on to whatever I'm working with. You know whether it's uh, my stones or if I go over the scary sharp method, it, it, it works great. Right. Well, you know, little little known secret. I actually uh, was working with one of those uh, a few years back and a little piece of diamond chipped off and uh, I took it to a jeweler and uh, proposed to uh, my, my wife. So... <gasps> Ooh. There are other benefits to these things. Um, oh, you know. Finally, I, I get my wife that Mother's Day pendant she's been wanting. There you go. You know what? <laughs> Chip a few off, a little uh, CA glue, glue them together, and you got yourself a nice fancy ring. Um, all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> finally, finally, a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and obviously, I did not really do that. Um, oh, crap. Okay. Is, it, is it me now? I li- uh, I just, no, I don't. You I did lost. The, uh, I lost where right. we are. Let's see. Uh, we're on oh, to me you. next. It's you. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Shutting so, up. Yeah. Leave me alone. I'm shutting up. Go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, okay, guys, I need help. I am making my recently married daughter a corner china cabinet for her new home and have a finish problem. It is made of cherry and has upper glass doors or upper or glass upper doors and a raised panel lower door. Mm-hmm. It has a mahogany stain, and my problem is with one of the lower doors, while applying a gel varnish, I was standing lightly between coats with 400 grit. I got a little too aggressive on the lower door. I first tried to add more stain, uh, but it wouldn't take. I then tried to hand sand just the one upper rail that was affected. The stain would still not take, then sanded the entire door with my palm sanders to what I thought was bare wood. Uh, still the same result. Fortunately, the panels are removable. The other parts of the door are restained or restained fine. I'm considering making a new door. I'm at a loss what to do. What about stripper? How can this be happening? Craig. I'll say so it sounds like Craig's in a bit of a uh he's in a panic. He's in like. a bit of a pickle. Yes. I mean a, a newly married daughter. Ooh, that's 
That's a, that's enough right there to put you in a pickle. Indeed. Uh, so let's see here. My first impression when I read this was, I know he had said that he was lightly standing between Colts with 400 grit and got a little too aggressive on the lower door. I'm wondering if possible, uh, as, he's, as he was doing this, if he kind of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, not abraded, but he uh, burnished the uh, the wood. Mm-hmm. And if essentially when he went to restain it, add the extra stain, when he burnished it, or maybe the the you know we kind of talked a little bit about this, but maybe some of the the, the sawdust kind of pushed into the uh, pores, and therefore it kind of uh, that's why the stain's not taking it up. That's one of the things I'm thinking. Um, sure, because you know if. See here, that yeah, I think that's about right. What do you what do you think about this? Because that's well, this, this is a pickle. <laughs> yes, indeed, it is a pickle. Um, I don't, you know, I don't envy the situation he's in. No, um, that is never fun when you get into that sort of, you know, you just have this one little boo boo, and then you go to fix it, and you figure, okay, let me just let me, you know, just go a little bit further with it so that I can make sure I could fix this completely, and then it just winds up escalating until you're finally stripping the whole thing down. Right. Uh, you know, here's the deal that I found, especially when you're sanding, um, it's very hard to get any wood that's been finished to stain exactly the same, you know, so that it looks like it was unfinished wood. Um, right. You know, refinished furniture, unless you really put a heavy stain that blocks a lot of the grain and color, you know, sometimes just looks refinished, you know, and and especially if you're sanding, a lot of times you can actually grind that's, um, you know, you are removing most of the stuff, but a lot of times there's very small particles of finish. And the, he said he was using a gel varnish so he could easily have pushed that varnish down into the grain, you know, very deeply so that it may never really, you know, stain perfectly again unless he maybe planes the surface and, and really removes the top layer. And I don't think that's going to be feasible for him. So he may be in a situation now where that may not necessarily ever stain the same. So, I mean, he could certainly plane it away. He might even try scraping, you know, instead of sanding, just use a hand scraper and peel off that top layer and see if right. he can get it to, to look and act like it's brand new wood. But he's got probably another door that he needs to maintain some consistency with. So I'm a little bit concerned uh, about that. Now, for me personally, and this is not something that's an option for everybody, when I need to do a perfect color match, I go to spraying. Because really, the, as far as I'm concerned, the only way to get you know really good quality color matching, very accurate color matching, is with spraying. Um, when you're doing these wipe-on um, sort of finishes, you have a lot less control over what the color does and how the color lays over because you're you're actually applying it by hand. Whereas with spraying, you could v- do very very subtle color variations and and change things. And if it's not perfect, you could just subtly change it by toning it to a different color. So. Um, If he has the means to spray, that might save the door. Um, But otherwise, I would just continue sanding it or better yet, like I said, scrape it, do some sort of stock removal that isn't sanding, peel away that top layer, uh, then give it a quick, you know, if he wants to, if it's not smooth enough, give it a nice quick sanding to, to 180 or whatever his last grit was on his other pieces and repeat that staining process. Um, but I really think his problem is probably just embedded finish that, although it looks like it's you know sanded very well, there still is going to be you know some kind of residue on the surface that's going to block the stain a little bit. Okay. Yeah. The other thing I'm thinking is I'm wondering if I've never actually done this with any of my projects, but uh, um, are you familiar, like have you ever used like with dyes or like tints or something like that? Like if maybe he could add that to his stain. Yeah. And if maybe that would bring it up a little bit, if that you know kind of reaching for it. Yeah. And the problem is he's he's gonna he's gonna have to experiment though, and the problem is he only has that one piece to experiment on. Yeah, you know that's I mean? true. That's, so to, to, yeah. to get that to get that method to work. He's going to be doing a lot of guesswork and then a lot of, you know, oops, do over, you know, so it's it's going to be right. tricky, tricky if he goes that route. Okay. And then, well, my last suggestion is put it in the darkest corner in the room that it's going to be in. So that way <laughs> it's kind of hidden or maybe a very large doily that will hang over so they have to move it to get it open. I don't know. I'm yeah. kind of grasping. Quality, so. quality suggestion, Matt. Yep, that's what I do with a lot of my stuff. Well positioned <laughs> and lighting. Oh, lovely. Okay, well, we're moving on. Uh, yeah, we've got right. a question from Alex here. He says, uh, thanks for the detailed answer to my question on clamping pressure in episode 7. No problem, Alex. Now, straight to my question. Uh, this one should be easier. I've seen many guys on TV and the internet, including Mark, using double-stick tape for various uh, woodworking tasks, such as sticking router templates to stock, attaching jigs to saw fences, etc. Uh, I've been to OSE. H, 
What the heck's that? Never. Uh, OSHA was what I thought he was saying. I'm like, what are they doing? Huh. Uh, but no. Okay, OSH, I, he's yeah. been there, something. Uh, huh. Home Depot and several office supply uh, craft stores and about every kind of double stick tape they have had. I'm not going to read the rest of this. He's asking about which double stick tape do we use because um, he's not having luck with that really thin stuff or the foam core material. Um, gotcha. The stuff that I get is uh, double stick tape. It's usually under the name Turner's Tape. Um, and a lot oh, of times it's available specifically at woodworking stores. So um, I get mine from Woodcraft a lot. And it's basically, like I said, I, I usually see it labeled as Turner's Tape. Okay. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, a couple things that I actually used. Uh, um, I've used that. Have you ever used that carpet tape? Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and that one, that's probably more along kind of that foam that he was talking about. I mean, it's a little thick, but depending on what you're using it for, it might work. And the other day, I hate to admit it, but I actually used uh, small rolls of the uh, blue painter's tape. I just put them, like, strategically all over the place, a lot of them. And it actually <laughs> held in place for a little bit. But, okay. you know, if, if I was going to continually use it, it probably wouldn't be a good thing. No, no, definitely not. But so. the uh, Turner's tape is not only, you know, it's, it's sort of that pressure-activated, very high, strong uh, hold on the material, uh, mm-hmm. but it is thin, and I and when you're doing templates and things like that, that's pretty key. Uh, but it's not as thin as that other stuff that you buy, you know, like a, probably a 3M brand material where it's you know scotch tape thin, you know, which is just right. a, a little bit too thin to get contact between slightly irregular surfaces. You need a little bit of thickness for that. Um, so Turner's tape, uh, check out Woodcraft and Rockler. They should, I would think they would both have it. Sweet. Yep. Sounds good. All right. All right. Let's see, we've got another one here. Uh, Matt and Mark, I love the show and your podcast. Both of you, great source to turn to for information. Please continue heaping praise upon yourself. Yeah, we will do that. Mm-hmm. Trust me until nauseous. Mm-hmm. Uh, on to my next question. I was building some cabinets that past weekend, or this past weekend, and started pondering the question of designing the cabinets to encourage them to become square on assembly. Generally speaking, my cabinet design is pretty simple. Uh, let's see here, a three-quarter ply with tops, bottoms, sides, rabbit, and then sometimes a fixed shelf. Um, let's see, I'm just going to kind of jump down a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, I found that the cabs had a uh, fixed shelf. When I put it the fixed shelf, naturally assembled more square than my cabs without a fixed shelf. Right. Okay, it makes sense. Uh, I think the precision of the dado is a significant factor here for bracing from the fixed shelf. Removed quite a bit of play in the cabinet. I've been thinking that a tongue and date. So more or less what it sounds like, let's see, the last last sentence. What other technique can you think of to help force the cabinet into square before applying a face frame or backing? Um, really, a lot of times, the face frame or the backing are the, the things that I'm going to count on the most to really... I mean, every time you, you assemble something, obviously you need to go for square during the glue-up. So you're going to spend a little extra time getting the... Uh, uh, the clamps in place and kind of trying to adjust it, you know, and, and measuring it here and there. Um, and that's even where like some of those little L brackets thing kind of come in, in handy in the corners. But I, I don't always, you know, uh, tr- need my backing, my back to be my, what's going to bring it into square, but I do count on it to help add some rigidity and to actually keep it in place. Um, I can't really think of anything that I do specifically. Obviously, certain joinery techniques like rabbits and dados are great for helping to align those in positions just because the natural cut, when you make them the right way, it does work out perfectly fine that when you fit everything in place, they should be perfectly 90 degrees to each other. Right. So other than you know your joinery technique, you got to keep practicing to get it the best that you can. But other than that, I really can't think of anything special that I would do. I mean, yeah. that's that's pretty much it. Well, I actually use. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Rockler's Jigit, uh, or they call it the Clampet system? Yes. Yeah, I've okay. seen that. They're relatively inexpensive plastic, you know, uh, squares. Now, the thing is, you can make these with plywood uh, in the shop if you're in a pinch. Um, but basically, it's a means of putting something that's locked down in a 90-degree angle into the corner of your cabinets and clamping both sides. And essentially, that means that, you know, you know that thing's 90 degrees so that if both sides are contacting fully, uh, you know that that cabinet side is going to be square. So if you get, you know, four of those onto your cabinet, the whole thing should be locked down in a uh, a nice square confirmation. And if it's slightly off, like you said, when you add your back, you know, or you add your face frame, that's going to help to lock it into position, but you should not be that far off. Um, and the ones that they sell, the, the, the clamp it system is, they're pretty small, you know, so you're not going to get two feet up in each direction on a cabinet. So you may, you know, you may want to make some right angle 
jigs out of maybe double stacked plywood uh, sandwiched mm-hmm. together and make these you know dead on 90 degree clamping uh, assistance that will help you lock that thing down at 90. Um, but really, other than that, I mean, that's that's the way cabinets go together. You just have to get it as close as possible. Um, may not be perfect, but when you add your face frame or you put your back piece in, uh, that should help things get a little bit, you know, pretty much knock it, you know, into a dead on position. Sweet. Yeah, definitely. Okay. That works for me. Yeah. Um, now we got one last one. We'll try and squeeze it in real quick so we can try and stay under an hour here. Okay. All right. Uh, this one is from Lip. Hello, Lip. Do we know if that's his real name? Is it Lip? Uh, I've heard from Lip a few times, and uh, I don't know. I think that's what he just likes to go by. I'm going to call him Lippenstein. Ooh. Okay. Lippenstein says, Hey, guys. My question this week has to do with jointers. I'm looking at doing a major shop upgrade later this summer, and so I'm really starting to weigh my options. Uh, Mark's won me over with his case for the 8-inch jointer, so at this point, it looks as though I've narrowed it down to the Grizzly 8-inch, 75-inch jointer. That's a good unit. Um, Mm -hmm. My question is whether you guys think the optional spiral cutter head is really worth almost $400 more than the regular 4-inch cutter head, uh, or 4-blade cutter head, I'm sorry. Uh, Now, I know I can get the spiral cutter head at a later time, but truth be told, if I'm ever going to uh, go that route, I'd much rather have it installed at the factory. Don't blame you. Uh, (laughs) Just so you know where I'm coming from, I'm also planning on purchasing the 15-inch planer, but going with the spiral cutter head would mean putting the planer on hold for at least another 4-6 to months. I know Matt is rather new to the whole power joiner experience, but I'm still really interested in your input as well as Mark since my shop is a lot closer to yours than it is to Mr. Big Shot's shop down there in Phoenix. Um, them's fighting words, Lippenstein. It sounds like sounds like Lip gave you a little lip there, buddy. Yeah, he's giving lips Lippenstein's giving me lip. Um that's, you know, unnecessary name calling, but uh thanks in advance. Keep up the great work. Okay, Lippenstein. Um, <laughs> you know, th- the thing is for me personally, truthfully, I don't think that the spiral cutter head is necessary. I don't think it's worth $400. I don't know any project that I've ever taken right off of my jointer and said, okay, that's ready to go. I mean, you always sand it, right? So if there's a little right. bit of, uh, you know, it's, they, I mean, there's no doubt about it. They produce a super smooth finish and it's great. You know, it, it's a great system, but... At the same time, is it really worth four hundred dollars if you're going to be sanding that anyway? You know, right. so if there's a little bit of machine chatter on there, it doesn't bother me in the least, and certainly isn't worth my four hundred dollars. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people would agree with me on that. But if the funds are there, you know, and you want to get that one, why not? But if it's going to mean a significant delay, four to six months of a delay before you can get your, your planer, to me, it's a no-brainer. I'd say go for the uh, uh, the standard head. Yeah, I'm I'm in full agreement on that one because my understanding is that that spiral head cutter, the 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 one that we're talking about here, the extra four hundred dollar head, uh, basically that's I, my understanding. If I remember right, it was something to do with that one. Really works great with tri- kind of really tricky grain and everything. Sure, and and so you know because you can really kind of adjust it, and plus on top of it, one goes dull, you just pull one of those little indexer thingies out, and you're all set. But yeah, I don't I don't I really don't see where uh, in most shops where you would really need it. I just I can't imagine needing that. So I say go for what the uh, the traditional forehead cutter and then get the uh, planer and have a, have a good time lip definitely yeah i mean there, there's no doubt you're going to get a lot of benefit from having that system but if it means the difference of you getting a tool now or another tool you know six months from now i just i i think you know a, a joiner is is never as powerful as when it's paired with a planer in my opinion right. so um you know if he gets that planer right away he's you know he's off to the races those other things are just creature comforts and i would say the majority of the woodworking world uh, does not have a spiral cutter head, you know, and, right. and, and I, I, I mean, I remember when those things were introduced, I don't think that they really have caught on as much as, as you might've expected. Maybe it is the price. I don't know for sure, but I, I don't hear about people going for that option that much. So I don't know, maybe we'll hear from some people who will tell us different, but, um, you know, if you're, especially if you're talking about a budget, just, just go for the regular one. Absolutely. If you four to six months down the road, you have both tools. You decide you absolutely need it. Go for it. Yeah. And you know what? Spend a, spend a weekend installing it yourself. I think you'll have a little fun with that. Right. <laughs> and that's what we recommend, so, Lippenstein. Absolutely. Yes, Mister Lipper. Okay. Well, I think that uh, well that that about does it. I, I don't see any more on our list here. So I think with no. that we should uh, we should head out of here. 
Sweet. Sounds good. So, um, you know, I was thinking if people want to get back with us, give us a little feedback and let mm-hmm. us know what you're thinking and everything. Because, you know, you might have an idea that you want to follow up and everything. Yep. You know how to get a hold of us. That would be at uh, woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or there's a voicemail thingy, too, if you want to get one of your voice out there for your two minutes of fame. Because we're not giving you five or ten or fifteen like everybody else. Exactly. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, be- the voicemails are fantastic. I can't stress that enough. I, I get all giddy and excited like a little schoolgirl every time I see one in the inbox. Uh, I just, <laughs> exactly. I, I love listening to people leave us voicemails. It makes it feel like a, a real radio show. That's right. And on top of it, I don't have to try to read it and go, what the hell is he saying? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you can say just about anything and we'll put it on. So um, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But hey, um, I was going to say, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I might regret that. But hey, if it gets more stuff for us to listen to, cool. That's right. And of course, you can always send us free stuff, too. We like that a lot, lot. Uh, a lot, so, a lot, yeah. Um, and oh, so. uh, yeah, you know what? Speaking of that, another thank you to Bob. Did you receive your peanut M&Ms? Oh, yes, I did. And I hid them very well from the family. Oh, they thought man. I was getting, like, you know, a magazine. Bob <laughs> hooked us up in a very large way um, with M&Ms. So uh, a big thank you out to Bob for that. Absolutely. You're the man. You are the man. Totally. So until next time, guys, uh, we will catch you later. That's right. Take care, everybody. We'll be seeing you from up over here. (laughs) Up over. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See ya. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.